Hi, you're listening to Talking Strength with Kasil and Kumar. The only podcast that ties together the science of learning and training. No prizes for guessing who's who. Let's get on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to episode two of Shorts and today we're going to be talking about rehabilitation. Knuckles, I'll leave you to tell all of our listeners why we're talking about rehab in today's episode. <laughs> Thanks Mike. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just a week out of um, a second ACL reconstruction now so um, we figured this would be a good time to talk about not so much, not necessarily the rehab process but more how um, to get through the frustration of going through uh, rehabilitation or things coaches need to keep in mind when they're getting their athletes to through um, through the rehab process because they tend to be quite long and for people who are that active and competitive it can be quite a demotivating phase Absolutely. And I, I think for, for context, do you want to talk us through exactly what it is that you've had fixed? I know you, you, know, you mentioned it's the second time you've had your ACL done, but were there any other bits around the outside of that that needed working on? And, and is, is that impacting what you're having to do with your rehab? Um, yeah, so I did my ACL the first time. Well, I had it reconstruction in 2017. And then in 2019, um, while well, playing... Uh, match for the Cardiff Met uh, staff team <laughs> in the first five minutes. Um, I ended up landing awkwardly uh, when I jumped to head the ball and the scan revealed uh, a grade two tear of the MCL, a grade two tear of the medial meniscus. Um, but it looked like my um, ACL graft was intact. At least it looked like the screws were still in place, but there was a lot of debris from the previous surgery. So. Um, the doctor decided that we needed to actually go in and figure out or rather assess what the damage actually was. Um, unfortunately, thanks to, uh, well, no thanks to COVID, I couldn't get the op anytime soon. And um, so I had to wait over a two-year period where I managed to rehab the knee enough so I could carry out um, like day-to-day activities. But anyway, so two years on, um, I did get the op and when the doctor did, get into the knee, it turns out that the MCL had recovered on its own over the past two years. Um, the ACL graft had ruptured completely, so that needed reconstruction. And there was just a minor repair of the medial meniscus that was needed. But uh, yeah, the surgeon's happy for this to be treated as, a, as an ACL reconstruction in terms of rehab. Which is good. And with, I suppose, I, I've been a very fortunate individual that I've never really had many things to rehabilitate, very small things. If I have like a, a small tweak in the shoulder and, you know, a couple of back problems because I've I've gone over the cusp of 30 years of age now. Um, but uh, when I, when I you know, I, I, I see the way that you're moving and you're training and you're kind of off the crutches and, we're, you know, we're, we're only a week out of your surgery, like you mentioned, this all seems to me to be quite kind of miraculous um Mm -hmm. it all seems to be quite uh (laughs) quite speedy and that's totally that's totally different to what my expectations were you know I was expecting you to be braced up and 
on crutches for you know a good amount of time before you were feeling a little bit more mobile uh, but mm-hmm. I mean we, you, were, you were in the gym the day after surgery and you've been in the gym almost every day since then you know so what's why are my expectations so different to what the reality of, of your experience has been? Um, I probably wouldn't advise going in the gym straight away, not the not the day after the op, but um, I've been on some pretty heavy painkillers, so I figured why not make the most of it and get in whatever movement I can. But no, um, I think the perfect example of in terms of a comparison of how well rehab is going now compared to the first time I had the op is um, just the fact that when I had the reconstruction the first time, I was in a brace for four weeks, after which um, I mean, while I was in the brace, um, I was only allowed to increase the range of flexion 30 degrees every week. Um and I was using a walker for at least the first three weeks to get around because it was completely non-load bearing. Um, and then this time after reconstruction, um, I was told I was allowed full load bearing um, straight after the op in, fle- in extension, not in flexion. And I had to use the crutches only when I had pain, um, just so I didn't develop a limp and uh, so that my gait pattern wasn't massively affected but um i think we've seen acl injuries in the past before and we've, and we've seen um, people rehabbing and coming out of um dot's we've seen them braced up but if you look into the research like acl rehab and well just any rehab it's come a long way um so if i'm right like back when they first started reconstructions when they first operated on a reconstructed, uh, on an ACL, um, you would have your knee in a brace. I mean, not a brace, sorry, a cast. So initially it used to be where you'd be in a cast. Um, and after that, they moved that to a brace um, where it was limited flexion. Uh, but then there are a few studies that have compared people who were in casts, who were in braces, and people who weren't in braces. And they found that the longer you leave it before you regain full extension and full flexion, the greater your chances of developing arthritis in the knee. So you'll have complications in the long run. So most of the ACL rehab protocols nowadays, um, unless you've had additional work like say an MCL or um, like a major meniscal repair, um, if you've had a major meniscal repair, they'd usually have you on uh, braces with non-load bearing for at least four to six weeks. But if you have your meniscus removed, um, you could be back to activities in about six weeks. But yeah, but if you had, um, along with the ACL, some MCL stuff, um, work done and the meniscal repair, then you'd potentially be on a brace. But um, if it's just ACL nowadays, it's no brace, full load bearing and extension. And the rehab protocol says within uh, at least the first week, you should try and regain complete extension, which is probably the most important to think, uh, thing to tick off um, in the early rehab phase and to try and get flexion at least to 90 degrees. Okay, so it's been quite... Um 
well, I see why well, it's going to plan basically is your, your, your rehab currently and so that's far, good yeah. for you, of yeah. course, <laughs> it's all, uh, it's all okay. So let's, let's talk about this then from, from a coaching perspective. So if this is football or rugby, if you were trying to get back to those sports, the season's already started. If we're talking about university athletes, the season is only two, maybe three months away from starting kind of October-ish, the, the uh, Bucks fixtures maybe start. And so as a coach now, I'm kind of thinking, right, how soon can I get you back on the field? How soon can I get you back into training? You know, how long am I going to have to go without one of my star athletes, which of course you would be. Um, <laughs> and so the stress for me as a coach is I want to try and do anything I can to facilitate that process, to help it to be as quick as possible so that if we've got an ideal date where you can return to sport, where you can return to play or even return just onto the, on, onto the courts of the field for training. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that happens because that's kind of part of my, my plans. And so I suppose what that does is I start putting quite a lot of focus then on what can I do to try and speed up or to try and make sure that's happening. And ultimately that's probably not my role. It's not my decision to really dictate when you're going to be back on the field of play and when you're going to be training again. Yeah. And so I suppose the conversation that we need to have here for, for five or 10 minutes is how can we as coaches try to maybe mitigate some of that, um, that feeling of responsibility for an athlete when they come back and how can we put them into more comfortable, uh, more comfortable scenarios where they can move along at their own pace so mm -hmm. that they're, feeling safe and secure and probably a little bit more confident and actually returning to the field of play. Because one of the big things that, that we'll know about injuries is that psychologically it's yeah. just as, just as damaging as it is obviously from a, from a physical perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so let's, uh, you know, from a, from a coach and SNC coaching perspective, you know, you've got an athlete that has to treat some rehabilitation. You're, your approach to that or your reaction to that first and foremost would would be what, Nicole? Um, just to make it clear to listeners, um, I'm an SNC coach and by no means do I um, put myself across as being a physiotherapist or a rehab specialist, but where an SNC coach comes into place towards, well, one, you'd always want to keep in touch with the physio to keep a track of how your athlete is getting on, but also you tend to overlap with what the physio does because you get to a point where you then handle the return to sport phase and you do that hand in hand with um, with the physiotherapist but but for me I think I think when you have a coach who wants to get his athlete um, back to sport as quickly as possible for me the first thing there is to try and explain the consequences of rushing return to sport and like you hear of a lot of athletes coming out of um, ACL reconstruction and getting back to sport within uh, six months time, like getting back to proper high level competitive sport. But, and you see some who are successful, but then if you go into the literature and you see the high rate of retails, so they're off the graph, it's mostly those athletes who return to sport within six months or rather before the nine-month phase. And it's not even to say that um, in nine months they're ready to return to sport because I think the problem we face is what you touched upon now is that we always look at rehab from a physiological perspective, right? Is your, say, say if we're talking about ACL, like 
is the surrounding musculature strong enough? Are your hamstrings and quads strong? Has your graft now completely healed and gone through the process that it needs to in terms of um, attachment to the bone and things like that? But more so, um, an ACL rupture is a traumatic injury. And in contact sport, when it happens, it's never... I mean, it's never a pretty injury, but in contact sport especially, it's never a pretty one. So I think coaches need to acknowledge the psychological impact it has because you could put the player back on the pitch and the moment he's reintroduced into that situation, if he gets nervous and say his muscles tighten up because he's worried that the same thing will happen again, that changes how he moves or how he might potentially absorb forces, and that's just going to increase his risk of re-injury. Um, for me, as a coach, once um, physio signed off and said, cool, we're okay for return to sport, um, for me, then it's about putting him in similar situations that he would experience in a game, but in a more controlled environment. So, for example, they go through agility. And now... Contrary to popular belief, using ladders has nothing to do with agility. The definition of agility is changing direction response to stimulus. So you start to get the athlete ready for that. You start first with, um, you can manipulate uh, manipulate um, different variables. So you can start first with something which is planned. So you have them run to a cone and then you tell them at that cone, you're going to turn right. So they run to the cone as quick as they can and then they turn right. And then you start to add a little unpredictability. So they run to the cone and you're at the cone and you start to point, right? You're going right or left. So they have to react to the direction you point in. So start to ease them into situations which they would experience on the pitch, but it's still in a controlled and safe environment. So they start to build confidence. Um, and then, of course, you have uh, certain psychological skills and, and interventions that come into play with the sports psychologist to kind of reinstill that like, so put them in certain situations that they've been in before. Um, and I think you use this example, I mean, in a different context, you were telling me about, I can't remember the name of um, this individual who has a learning theory where he gets them to imagine different things within the situation he's trying to bring back to them. Um, so that's what psychologists would do to bring the athlete back onto the pitch and tell them, okay, you're on this situation here, this athlete was running towards you, what do you remember? So put them back in the situation, make them confident about going back into that situation, and then slowly introduce them, say, first the last five, 10 minutes off the game. Let them just get onto the pitch, get a feel of it when everyone else is fatigued and potentially no rough tackles, whatever being made. And so it might even end up being a 12-month process before the athlete is fully ready, but their risk of re-injury because of potentially not being at, say, 95-100% is far less. Yeah, absolutely. And so coaches need to understand that. But I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about coaches on this podcast and what, you know, the, the expectations of coaches therefore need to be that you can't rush this process. You need to understand the gravity of a scenario of, putting an athlete into a, a situation where they could very well re-injure, where they could take that graft off a second time. Um, but I think there's there's quite a few implications for the 
through the rehabilitation process as well that can can help and so one of the things I want to draw some attention to is how much research you did into the possible surgeries that you were going to be having before you even had the surgery it wasn't like you kind of came out of the surgery and then the surgeon told you okay this is what I've done you knew what step you know you knew what the process was going to be you had a pretty good idea of what the surgery was going to look like what it was going to feel like what the rehabilitation program looked like afterwards and then you kind of went into it and I know I know there's I know there's literature out there um, that would make a suggestion that your kind of heightened optimism going into surgery is is going to have more of an indirect effect on your 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 kind of efficacy your confidence coming out of the surgery and going through your rehabilitation later perhaps it's going to have an impact on how how much more you're going to adhere to that rehabilitation program as well so why did you do all that research was it with the, the you know did you just want to know what was going to happen how safe it was or was it with an with one eye on the rehab process coming out the other side um i think there was two reasons because we weren't sure of what the op was um and i absolutely loved my training and coaching so one was trying to figure out how long i might be out of coaching and out of training but um also so i could plan my uh, rehab process it's it's cocky to say plan it beforehand um but which is why i went through loads of rich literature and looked at just mcl reconstruction just acl just meniscal repair meniscoptomy um a combination of the three um only because i like to see things ready um i see, like to see things written out or it stresses me out and <laughs> um it's the same with um with the athletes i work with even though i'm not involved with their rehab through the initial stages i like when the physio includes me in the process and tells me like this is what they're doing i like to see it written out planned out so i know okay um as much as things don't always go according to plan in 4 to 6 weeks time i can see my athlete doing so and so um yeah so Yeah, I think yeah. it's a bit of both to try and get back to it as quick as possible, and also to have an idea of what I'm going to be doing. Cool. And so another implication that I think for coaches, we'll we'll maybe finish with this little point here, is that the the timelines that your your rehabilitating athlete is working to uh, should not be bending and breaking and swaying based on the timelines that you have for other people in the team. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 season, the periodization of their training. that all needs to perhaps sit separate to the rehabilitation of the athlete because this has likely been something that's planned out it's been prescribed by the surgeon by the physio um and so trying to uh, you know split apart that rehab or try to to have an impact on on that rehabilitation process when you know let's face it most of us are are far expert in that area um it's probably Uh, unethical um and and you know and it's certainly certainly going to be something that's quite dangerous so you know p- perhaps i know we've we've already put a disclaimer in here that neither of us are experts but one thing i would be very confident in saying is that um i certainly would not want to be interfering with any kind of rehabilitation process that's for sure so uh, that that's maybe that's may- that's maybe my message <laughs> about this kind of thing for sure um i think a technical coach and i think it's important like as like you said ben you understand what your strengths are and then respect like say 
the physio and that they'd um, trust them to handle the recovery of your athlete, but still stay involved in the sense that talk to your athlete as going through the rehab phase. Don't don't put him to the side now and where, okay, right, he's out of action for the season. Let him go through his recovery on his own. When he's ready to come back, I'll talk to him. But to include him in what's happening with the team, to still make him feel like part of the team. Because especially in team sports, that social element is such a big thing. And then the support from the teammates, support from the technical coach, all that, as silly as it sounds, it does make a massive difference with um, the athlete's attitude and receptiveness towards the recovery phase. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we've already mentioned that adherence to a program, to a mm-hmm. rehab program, is going to be huge for recovery. And uh, yeah, I really like that that point there, keeping them, uh, you know, intertwined in that social experience in in the, the the team building. You know, making making sure they're still feeling that relatedness. I suppose Leah would refer to it as is mm-hmm. um, is, is important. They're still involved in the wider team goals, even if they have their own individual goal which ultimately yeah. is 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 full rehabilitation so nice message to end on um so that's that short episode two as always we're always uh, keen to have new ideas and and suggestions of what to talk about so if you do have any then just throw them our way on our instagram our twitter uh, or drop us an email thanks for listening and we'll be back soon thanks for listening to this episode of talking strength with castle and kumar if you've got any questions, feel free to drop us an email at talkingstrengthwithus at gmail.com. Or alternatively, follow us on Instagram at talkingstrengthwithus. Until next time.